Welcome to Manager Tools. The written review scale, less absolute value. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. Can I deliver a different message orally than in writing on a review? How do I deliver a different verbal message than when I write in a review? You want to answer to these questions and more? Keep listening. Finally, after years of waiting, The Effective Manager in book form is available at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and your other retail booksellers, as well as signed copies are available on our website, manager-tools.com. If you want to know the basics of how to manage others effectively in book format, including Kindle and ebook format as well, we encourage you to buy, read, and then implement the guidance in The Effective Manager. I'm excited about today's show because this is a lesson I learned, um, geez, almost 30, 35 years ago um, <laughs> when writing reviews for NCOs when I was in the Army, which is interesting because we just, you and I just got back from a reunion with some great folks we served with uh, back in the Army 30-something years ago. Yep. 1982 to 86. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, when people write reviews, they get into writing the review and they think the review should cover everything, which can be frustrating in part because you can't put everything in a review. In the last 20 or 30 years, reviews have become simplified in many ways. I mean, there were apps at one point for, oh, we can write your review. We just, you know, put in some words and we'll write a sentence for you. Those still exist. Um, but gee whiz, if you have to use something like that, you're not a very professional manager. But basically, people think, oh, I have to make the written review speak for itself. And that's true insofar as you have to understand that the written review is what the organization uses for succession planning. But the verbal review is between you and your direct. Right. There's two different audiences here. Yeah. And there's two different sensitivities. There's two different sensibilities. There's two different ways of thinking about it. I mean, you, you may choose to be very direct with somebody who really made a pretty significant mistake. You could say that, but it would be very hard to put it in a written review without having significant negatives attached to that person because of the inherent politicization of and, and overemphasis on numerics and uh, buzzwords that go into the review system because again, it's a bifurcated system. The, the organization doesn't really use it to review people. They use it to capture data for planning. But nevertheless, the person who's first going to read it is the person who's being reviewed. But you can, and you often should deliver a different message verbally than your written comments. And the key to doing that is to moderate your written comments and to give them what we call less absolute value. Good. And so what's the outline for today? So really three simple things. In writing... We say you deliver less absolute value. That means for negative reviews, you can be more negative verbally. And for positive reviews, you can be more positive verbally. So if I think you're an eight in terms of what I think you should get on the review, I could still probably talk to you as if you're a nine. So nine is verbal, eight is written. If you really had a terrible year, and I think you got a negative six, if we're assuming a scale of 10 to plus 10 to minus 10, I might talk to you as a negative six, but only give you a negative five or a negative four. So let me say that differently in terms of less absolute value rule. 
whatever score you would give based on what is verbally delivered on a performance review, the score for the official written review must have an absolute value less than the verbal score. Oh my God, it's a math class here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're assuming plus 10. We're, we're throwing out everybody's concepts of what their organization uses for reviews and keeping in mind that most review systems, they have a one through five and three is you know okay and four is very good and five is exceptional. Two is not meeting expectations. One is you're in serious trouble. If you see that three as a zero, and then you think the five is, say, a plus 10, and the zero is a minus 10, the more you go to the right toward plus 10, you know, the closer the person is getting to a four or a five. And whatever your verbal delivery is, you can go further than what you think the written score is. If it's a positive review. If it's a positive review. If it's a negative review, in order to keep the less absolute value concept, you have to think of getting a two or a one on a one to five scale with three being the average. You have to think of those as being negative reviews, which frankly, most people do. And look, it's, it's pretty simple. Writing a review and delivering a review verbally are two different things. And if you don't know, folks, this we're almost up to 12 years of recording podcasts every week. We have four podcasts on reviews from 11 years ago that are some of my all-time favorites, so much so that in their Hall of Fame, uh, which you can find on our Map of the Universe page, and we re-release them every year in the middle of the week to help people be reminded of what they need to do to prepare a review, write a review, and delivering a review. So we highly recommend those. But it's important that people understand that writing the review is permanent and it's official. Yeah. You have to be careful, folks, what we commit to paper. Performance reviews are an organizational system. They're not designed effectively for detailed performance feedback between a manager and a direct. Reviews are designed to capture relative strengths and weaknesses of different uh, employees to help the organization make succession planning judgments. There's no sense in trying to communicate performance feedback in writing, because that's not what the written review is for, because performance reviews aren't for feedback. They're not, they're for succession planning. We can provide feedback verbally, it's the best way to do it anyway, and leave what we want to tell the organization, what we think sends the right message about the person's performance over the past year regarding succession planning, we can do that in writing. So what this means and what you're saying, I think, is that what we write and then what we say in performance reviews have two very different purposes. Yeah, they do. We have much greater leeway verbally. There's no record of it. We're much more able to engage in a discussion that involves the direct in their performance discussion. The way to think about this, again, imagine that number scale, negative 10 on the left, positive 10 on the right. Zero is the midpoint for most people. And this may not apply to you. It's not as if 80% of companies this way, but I bet 60% are. They have a one to five scale and three is in the middle. And three is you did fine. Four is you did very well. Five is exceptional. Ones and twos on a five point scale are generally considered problematic. One is reserved for people who have just had a terrible year and are likely to get fired. 
and really are much more a function of when they're having the terrible time and they happen to have a review. So when we chart that rating that we're going to give the direct on any review, we have the, the official score, again, which is minus 10 to plus 10. And we also have the score we would assign to the verbal delivery, which again, could vary. And so the less absolute value rule says whatever score you'd give based on what's verbally delivered, the score for the written official review must have an absolute value less than the verbal score. So if Mike's my top performer, I could talk to him and tell him he's a 10. But I have concerns about a 10 being politically justifiable to my boss's boss, let's say. And so I'm going to give him a written score of nine. Now, that may not translate into the difference between a four or five. I'm not going to get into distinctions of trying to describe for everybody and all of their systems whether a person deserves a four or a five or a three or a two or a one. So he's my top performer. My bottom performer, Joe, who probably deserves a minus nine, I can talk to him in that way and give him a verbal review that says that. But on his written review, I'm only going to give him a minus eight, meaning, therefore, the absolute values of those two numbers are nine and eight, nine for verbal, eight for written. And so, again, less absolute value. The number that you ascribe to the verbal delivery can be further away from zero than the written delivery. Right. So in non-numerical terms, what this means is that we can give more praise verbally than we can in writing. And in the case of a negative review, we can be more directly and pointedly negative verbally than we ought to when we're writing the performance review. Yeah, that's exactly right, dude. And to be clear, we don't always have to have the written and verbal values be different. Different values are generally more likely to occur as the situation moves further from zero in either direction. The reason why is the further you get away from zero, the more you must justify your answer. Uh, in writing. Uh, you don't have to justify the verbal, but you have to justify the writing because it's going to be compared to everyone else's. And of course, verbal reviews are not compared. They cease to exist after the review has been delivered. If you're thinking of writing a particularly good or particularly bad review, you have to be willing to moderate your tone for the written document and save your strong statements for your verbal delivery. Now, I know some of you are listening and saying, well, what about the guy who I tell him he's a 10, but, you know, I only give him a 9, if in fact you've got a plus, 0 to plus 10 scale on the positive. Well, first of all, you probably don't need to actually say he's a 10, and if he says, geez, you're praising me like crazy, but I don't have a perfect score, and you say, yeah, because perfect scores draw attention, and there are people here who give their people perfect scores and nobody believes them, and they have no credibility. And if I give you a perfect score, the first question I'm going to get asked from my boss's boss is, what are his weaknesses? Because if he has a 10, he has no weaknesses. So, well, okay, I guess he has weaknesses. And of course, your boss is, my boss's boss says, yeah, he does. He's the same race as the rest of us. Now, that's not to say that somebody couldn't be employee of the year. And if we're talking about a scale of one to five, maybe they deserve that five, which essentially in my numerical scale could be the equivalent of a 10. That's rare. It's so exceptionally rare. Um, we don't really need to talk about it very often. Or if you're going to give somebody a perfect score, you better pre-wire that with your boss and ask her or him to pre-wire it with the boss's boss. Because all this goes into a discussion about a steel cage death match and what kind of data you have. Um, and you have to be careful about trying to overwrite 
to overpraise in writing because you're going to be perceived as the boy who cried wolf, somebody who always overstresses how awesome his people are or people are. And then the result is nobody believes you and you just get brushed aside when a steel cage death match, unfortunately, has to happen. So let's delve into a little bit more deeper into the case of negative reviews, where you can be more negative verbally. Right. When you've got a direct who's performed poorly, and I, I, by poorly, I mean below the mean, as the example I used before on a scale of one to five, somebody who, who you believe deserves a two or a one, don't put all of their mistakes into the review. If you do that, you're starting to make the review an indictment, and that's not good. The review you're going to give to the organization is permanent. Really, it's more semi-permanent because the system's going to change in five years from now. No boss is going to read this review, particularly if the system's changed. But reviews are official documents. One that's too negative will draw the attention of HR. If you haven't given HR a heads up, a significantly negative review, again, remember, a review is a session planning document, is probably going to be questioned. Why did we know this was coming? What have you done about the situation? What do you expect, you know, the response to be from this person? And now HR is in your kitchen. You know, are there any surprises here? Is there anything you said in this review that your director doesn't know about? And frankly, they ask that question and they won't believe you. If you're a manager tools manager and you say, no, I would never surprise a direct in a review, it's one of the cardinal rules of review delivery, and HR kind of rolls their eyes because everybody else does. Every other manager, many other managers in the world, the vast majority of managers, don't engage in the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month stuff they need to do. They don't engage in the wellness that we recommend, and at the end of the year, they think, well, we have a cancer, let's have surgery. And they haven't done it, and they see the review as their one chance to give feedback to the direct, rather than the review as being succession planning information to the organization, and it's simply a written copy for the direct to characterize what happened in the previous year. Now, look, if you have followed our protocols, you have the raw material to support the review, and you have a track record of talking about it throughout the year that you're given the review for. But again, HR probably doesn't know. And unfortunately, too many HR people confuse protecting the company from liability with protecting individual employees from difficult situations. But in any event, let's suppose you write a quite critical review of direct. You think the direct deserves a minus eight. And you don't use the less absolute value rule. You verbally deliver a minus eight, and you give them a ranking that you equate with a minus eight even though our guidance in that situation would be to make the written score a negative six or a negative seven. And the next year, you feel justified because your direct's performance significantly improved. In your mind, you gave them the necessary kick in the butt, and they responded. But that's only part of the story. Your significantly negative written comments will be part of your direct's record for several years to come. Semi-permanent, not permanent. It may be permanent, permanent. Managers and executives who don't know your direct and don't know you and don't know what you've done will see this review as a black mark that could affect their career for years. That's right. And if there's a job in the future, you gave them the kick in the butt, they got better. But now there's, for example, manage position open that they want or some other, you know, plum position that they want and they're competing against others and 
the hiring manager looks at the reviews and sees that significant black mark. And now you're host. You, you've hurt your, your direct permanently. Yeah. So here's how it works. Write the negative review that the direct deserves, which you can politically defend to your boss with an HR with details. Then deliver a verbal review that goes into more detail about your disappointment. Okay. For instance, a good example, the word disappointment, you would never put disappointment on a review. You're feeding this into the maelstrom of a gigantic organization succession planning thing. You put in a word like disappointment, that emotionally charged word is the word that will bubble the surface whenever this direct is talked about in terms of succession planning. So I could say, or Mike could say to me, if I'm his direct, who's done poorly, Mark, I'm disappointed in you but that wouldn't go on the review, okay? Verbally, he'd give me more specifics, more discussion of the changes necessary, and he wouldn't pull any punches about what a repeat of my performance this year would mean next year. But he wouldn't put all of that in the written review. Okay, so let's talk about the case of the positive review. And I think a lot of people are gonna push back here on the absolute value rule because they feel, well, I mean, I can't be too effusive about a positive thing. I mean, but that's not true. Yeah, that's not true, right? When you have a director who's performed exceptionally, you don't have to push their ranking on whatever the scale is in your organization to the limit of what their body of work would support. It's better politically and organizationally to give them an overall score that is slightly less than what you would try to argue for them. Now, if your system is a one, two, three, two is okay, three is exceptional, one is poor, then please understand, I'm not suggesting you give somebody who deserved a three a two. But if it's a one to 10 scale and you think they're a 10, you might still only give them a nine. Now, let me also say this. Mike and I had an experience in the Army, which interestingly has one of the best evaluation systems in the universe in part because they don't do reviews on calendar years, they do them based on the job you're in, and there are certain limits of time that somebody has to be in before they can rate you, uh, and if your boss leaves, he or she has to rate you before they leave, and there's also a senior evaluation that ranks you in a pyramid of how good you are relative to everybody else, and there was great pressure to be what is known as a top block person, which was the single block at the top of a pyramid, which is sometimes dangerous because colonels got the reputation of giving everyone a top block, which is essentially not what the army was asking them to do. The army was asking them of the people you have, where do they sit? And of course, all the colonels wanted to say that all their folks were great. Of course. Um, yeah. So if you had a one to 10 scale and you gave somebody a nine, but you know that everybody gives everybody a 10 folks, please take a pass on this guidance. But you better be darn sure that, in fact, everybody always gets a 10. Don't assume that because you've always got a 10, that therefore everyone always does. And that may mean talking to HR. That may mean asking for uh, a distribution uh, graph to show where people are. I wouldn't, my first time writing a review, if I'm a frontline manager, I wouldn't write that review without talking to my peers and my boss and say, okay, it says one to five. But where's the average? And of course, people are going to say four. Okay, smart. So now my big distinction is, can I give somebody a five? If I give them a five, the top score, how can I really justify that? And 
in that case, you may actually give somebody a five, but praise them even more effusively in the review and tell them if I could have given you a six, I would have because you're that much better than the average, which happens to be only a four. And that's much more a function, an artifact of a one to five scale than it is anybody's performance. Because one to five implies that five is not that much better than four, which is not much better than three. But human performance metrics basically show that somebody who truly is a top performer is enormously more valuable than an above average performance. And galactically more valuable than somebody who's an average performer who's just doing their job. But look, part of the issue with positive reviews is risk. But it's a risk that's not obvious to lots of managers because it's an organizational risk rather than an individual risk or a manager to subordinate risk. The risk organizations worry about, think about your boss and HR, is inflated reviews, which I just alluded to. Why? because reviews are tied to money. And while all the money comes essentially from the same place, we're really talking about tragedy the commons here when it comes to high reviews and limited salary increases, reviews are not policed by one source. All the money comes out of the company treasury, but managers get to write the reviews. And there's an inherent disconnect there unless you're in perfect alignment, which isn't possible. Now, we'll also say this. Some of you who are fairly knowledgeable about reviews know the organizational risk that this causes that individual managers are able to write the reviews, but they're all calling on the same pot of money. This is often mistakenly managed or attempted to be managed by requiring each manager to grade their folks on their own bell curve so that each subset of the organization has a bell curve. And then then if every manager has their own bell curve, then the entire organization has a bell curve. Yeah. I hope going to say this is not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a good thing. It's, it's, there's a whole thing about sub-optimization in here and, and a bell curve that applies to five people is ludicrous and it's dumb. I mean, it's literally, it's stupid and it's HR attempting to not get involved and executives not getting involved and it leads to newsworthy charges of machiavellian management techniques and getting rid of the bottom 10 percent, which is ludicrous and people misunderstand jack welch's history and a lot of the company's history and everything else but look we understand why managers attempt to maximize the written portion of reviews we managers know it's easier to deliver a positive review than a negative one We know our directs are fearful of any review that is less than positive. But this is just like the negative review. It works like this. Write the positive review that the direct deserves. Again, they deserve which you can politically support to your boss and others without overstatement. Then to deliver a review verbally that is even more positive. List even more of the great accomplishments that the direct had throughout the year. On a positive review, list in writing key major accomplishments. But then talk about each of those accomplishments verbally with even more gusto and more details than what you have in writing. And again, you'll have to prepare to do so, but we have guidance on that. And detail other lesser accomplishments as well verbally. It's not really that hard. It's sort of the standard way of doing things. Now, you'll hear people say, oh, no, 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 no. What I do is if I think they deserve to minus six, I write them as minus four. 
And if I think they deserved a plus four, I write them as a plus six. Well, that's a manager who's screwing up the system. And essentially, it will come cropper at some point, at some point, assuming that their boss is going to hold them accountable. Now, if you're a manager whose boss holds everybody accountable in your area, but you're competing against people whose bosses don't hold them accountable, that's an organizational problem we can't help you solve unless you want to start your own company or find a different organization. I think a lot of um, managers I met look at their responsibility to their people and taking care of their people, and they forget that they're an instrument of the organization. And to their directs, they are the organization. And yet you they have are. to balance taking care of your people um, with that of taking care of the organization with this special trust that they've, they've given you. Exactly. Yeah. So summarizing, what you write on a performance review will last. It won't be as effective if it's either too effusive or too derogatory. And a written review that's too derogatory can damage relationships and require justification and potentially ruin careers. What you say during a review disappears. Moderate your highs and lows in writing by using the idea of less absolute value. All right. Thanks, dude. You bet. Anytime, partner. All right, man. We'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want the how-tos of management wherever you are, check out the free Manager Tools mobile app. It's available on both iOS and Android devices. Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and download the Manager Tools app. Just search for Manager Tools in the respective store or go to the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com, and you'll find the links on the bottom of the homepage. Once you've installed the Manager Tools app, you'll have access to all the Manager Tools and Career Tools shows anytime, anywhere you want. With easy searching of podcasts by category, using the map of the universe, or using built-in search functions, it couldn't be easier. Additionally, if you're a Manager Tools personal licensee, you'll have easy access to all the show notes right from the app whenever you want. Go to the App Store and download the Manage Tools mobile app. You'll be happy you did. <laughs>